Sylvia here. I have enjoyed listening to Jesus Smart for over a year and a half now and have been greatly blessed by encouraging words, thought-provoking conversations, and sound doctrine. Hey there, you're in touch with episode 222 of Jesus Smart, the podcast. Coming up, do you feel stuck on some edge in life? Are you longing for new beginnings but almost feel like there is a shadowy, mysterious, long arm from the past that is holding you back from something new? Why would I say something like this? Maybe personal experience, you know, something beautiful that you're wanting to move and feel an instinct about moving toward expansion, more fruitfulness in life. This is one of the more stirring podcast conversations I've had in some time. Stay with us. Our guest for this episode, Mike Ashcraft. Welcome, friend. I'm Brian Del Turco. I believe that Jesus Christ knows how our lives work best and that he is passionate about developing his followers as intimate friends and co-agents in his kingdom. If you want to go further with King Jesus and his enterprise, this is the podcast for you. Let's be like David in Israel and strengthen ourselves in the Lord, especially if there's a setback or a challenging time that we're going through. I told Mike Ashcraft in this interview that I'm using our dialogue as part counseling session as it began to unfold. Um, You know, it's part of being human. It's something that Christ followers often experience. What are we talking about? Closing loops on the past and processing transitions into new seasons, new spaces of our story as it dovetails into the larger Christ story. This is abundant life. This is beginning to experience the pleasures of God that David spoke of in Psalm 16. He said, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's on deck. Before we get there, we have a very short feature, Jesus Dynamics. Dynamics are forces or properties which excite growth and development and change. It takes the raw strength of the Lord's joy to release God's purposes. In Isaiah 56, thus says the Lord, preserve justice, do righteousness. My salvation is about to come, my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the person who does this? How blessed is the son of man who takes hold of it? Catch that phrase, takes hold of it. And then in verse seven, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer for all the people's. My heart has been heavy in recent days about what's happening in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's so sad. It's so tragic. And it's a heavy thing to think about, to observe, and to even pray about. Here's the wisdom from Isaiah 56. Receive the joy of the Lord, the raw strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength in Nehemiah 8. It's going to take the joy of the Lord to pray for the nations. It's going to take the raw strength of the Lord to intercede as the house of prayer for all the peoples. You see, strong prayer releases God's purposes, and the great joy of the Lord produces great strength. Even about the micro issues that you're praying about in your own life, God is active. He is doing something remarkable. He is gathering into his house those who will lay hold of their capacity as a royal priesthood to intercede for the nations and bring it right down to the micro issues as well. I loved this conversation. Hey, let's stop dragging the past into our present and future like ugly hairballs (laughs) that cling to us. Let's shed that stuff. Let's get rid of it. You can catch the show notes page at jesusmart.com slash 222. Links and additional resources to take it deeper. Here's Mike Ashcraft. Do transitions make you uncomfortable? Well, there's a sense in which um, I have my hand up on some of this stuff. Pastor Mike, I got my hand up. I'm using this interview as part counseling session. We'll kind of run that in the background as a script, okay? (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is all part of being human, and it's something that I would say most Christ followers often experience at some some level, and we want to talk about this today. What is redemption? Is it just getting to heaven in the sweet by and by? Is it like Dallas Willard talked about, just a gospel of sin management, or is it something more? 
Is it something more? Can we live a beautiful life now that's really a narrative that fits into the greater Jesus narrative? It's a witness to Jesus. It's a witness to his kingdom, a witness to that time when he's restoring all things. Pastor Mike, I appreciate you carving out time today. Thank you for being with us. And I know this is going to be good. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I appreciate it. What a great introduction, because that's exactly part of what the sort of unexpected part of even writing the book uh, turned out to be sort of my own personal processing of, of the gospel and what it means and, and really the depths of what is available to us um, in it. So it's a really interesting the way you even intro the book because a lot of people will think the book's sort of, sort of a you know, how-to guide, but it's really much, much more layered than that. Oh, man, uh, that sounds really good. I'm, I'm really excited to get into this. Pastor Mike Ashcroft serves as the senior pastor at Port City Community Church in Southeast North Carolina, which he helped start in 1999. His wife, Julie, high school sweetheart, they married in 1992, grew up in Atlanta, then relocated near the beach. Uh, he enjoys family time with his two daughters, one son-in-law, and he's a surfer calls the beach his happy place <laughs> and the only hobby he needs that's that must be quite the hobby that's the only only hobby you need it's, right it's like nothing else it's way better than golf that's what i tell my pastor friends it's way better than golf okay cool what is uh what does surfing do for you uh it's it's really the first thing that i ever did that i wasn't trying to win at like because everything else was like a sport and i'm so competitive and so when I learned to surf, it kind of settled uh, settled me down uh, in some really important ways. <laughs> so I I tap into that quite a lot, and plus it's just great to get out there and um, it just there's nothing like it. The power, the 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 fun. It's there's nothing not much like it. Yeah, the energy out there. Wow, I wrote a fun piece a while back. You know, we have four daughters, and I wrote this thing called. Um, I hope this is not offensive to ladies, but it's surfing the estrogen waves, and I had some. <laughs> <laughs> had some principles from surfing I was teasing out there. We have wonderful daughters. Yeah. I have a great wife, and it was just a fun piece, but um, I, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there right now. <laughs> Four daughters. I've got two, so I can only imagine what your household's like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the, the, the grace is amazing, and the power of it is amazing. Um, well, you, you're coming out with this book called To Be Concluded. How I really love the subtitle, How to Prevent Your Past from Piling Up. Boy, have yeah. I ever felt that way. A piled up past. That's a great, a great picture. Mm. Um, and find hope for your future. Can I, you know, ask you as we get into this, what motivated you to write this book? Is there maybe any backstory to it? And <laughs> and <laughs> how was the process of writing for you? So, you know, the book was it came out of something we do as a church. We we have always historically, um, we kind of we stopped doing news resolutions uh, years ago. We we pick a word. So we use kind of my one word as our, as our frame. And what I realized was that when people would pick a word, spend the whole year with it, and then we get to New Year's and we just jump into the next word. And so we started doing a, what we call a personal retreat at the end of every year. Okay. And we would lead our church through, you know, the idea was that this week between Christmas uh, and New Year's was almost like a dead week <clears throat> that no one, you know, everybody just kind of crashes after Christmas. And a friend of mine, um, Real casually said, you know, Mike, one of the things that I talk about from Ecclesiastes 7-8 is better than the end of a thing than its beginning. Mm. And, you know, that just kind of got the wheels spinning. And so we started doing this personal retreat where we would really try to take the end of a year really seriously to see what God had done, to actually spend some time reflecting. And what I realized is, you know, doing this over the years that you what happens is you just sort of run from one thing to the next. And, you know, the, the intro to the book is is my introduction to Netflix years ago. It's kind of late to the game, but we were watching Parenthood. We watched one episode. And as the um, and as the first episode concludes, right, or ends, you, you get this little box in the bottom right corner it says your show will continue and then it counts down. And before you know it, you've watched like two seasons <laughs> yeah. of, you know, whatever, you know, just binge watch. And I realized like, this is kind of what our lives are like. We get to these endings and we don't ever finish them. We just go, you know, your next, your next event, your next episode starts and it starts counting down. And we just sort of live with this chronic anticipation mm of something that's coming that we never actually find. And so, you know, what happens is our past, you know, just sort of piles up and it's never resolved. And um, we over identify with things and then it pulls, you know, we just sort of drag it along with us into the future, or maybe even worse, we sort of run from it that we, we think that it's always going to be the thing that we're trying to, that's going to plague us or never allow us to experience what we want to experience. So there's just this, sense of, of continuation that just keeps us from experiencing 
you know, the life in the present that we're actually built for, designed for. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I think I would like to ask you, do you think there's something really bigger at play here that Jesus has a meta story that he is scripting and unfolding and our lives fit into that? He has specific works for us to do, a a specific life to live. And there's warfare against that, isn't there? There's resistance on that. Yes, I, I would. I would agree. I think the the thing that's really interesting, you know, this is what Paul talked about in Ephesians, right? There were these we were master were masterpieces, these poems created to um to tell that story. You know, and when I talk about specificity, you know, I don't I don't know that I always um, drive into. I think people put so much pressure that if I make you know, this decision versus that decision, I've sort of you know thrown God's plan off. That's the beautiful to me. The beautiful thing about the a vision for redemption, which I do think has been sort of lost mm-hmm. uh, in the way the gospel is presented and the way most of us have, have thought about um, our relationship with Jesus. It, it tends to be, I think you said this on your, a lot of your website, a lot of your writings is that you know, the gospel is far more than an afterlife message. Um, it has to do with what God is actually doing and redeeming in the world. And especially growing up in the American West, you know, we're sort of identify a problem and then create a solution and and then everything is arranged to avoid uh, problems. And what the gospel, I, th- I think, one of the beautiful things about it is it takes things that are broken, uh, which namely, you know, the world, it takes things and it causes them to be something, you know, different, something more. Uh, and this is what God's promise of redemption is. And this is, you know, goes back to the very first, you know, chapter, very first um, uh, book of the Bible in Genesis, you know, when when. Uh, Joseph says, you know, that which you have intended for evil, God intended for good. And there's just sort of this undercurrent of God's grace that yes. causes no matter what we have been through, whether it's something that's been done to us or something that we have done to ourselves or to others, that that God's grace has this capacity to run underneath that and bring about a, a swell of redemption. I think having a vision for that keeps us from living in this you know, chronic sense of guilt and shame and fear, it actually frees confession uh, to be something that's, I think, actually beautiful rather than this sort of, you know, I'm going to convince myself of how bad I am and then try to bring that to God and see if he'll you know, receive my sincerity rather than learning how to walk by faith. I love that image of his grace being a hidden how did you put that? Like an undercurrent, a greater yeah. energy yeah. that's that's oftentimes hidden. By faith, we can sense it and see it, but that ultimately can work things out for good. And, right. and it's Jesus, his promise, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Romans. That was the unexpected. I think you know. I think of this. The book is is. Um, and I'm not a great writer, right? So I've got a lot of help and. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a torturous experience, but it's a rich one to be sure. <laughs> and this one was actually really fun to write, but um, it, you know, it's a readable kind of conversations, a lot of, a lot of stories in it, but there's sort of theological layering to it. And one of the chapters I try to address Romans eight um, pretty directly, not from a real theological uh, sort of heady space, but a real practical, the fact that he says, you know, hey, creation is groaning in futility All right. and that there's something uh, else that we're supposed to to look for. And so there's just some really kind of practical ways to think about those big concepts that are, so they don't just remain these theological ideas, but how do we actually um, sort of live in this and walk in this in our day-to-day lives? I love that. Romans 8, that, you know, like verses, whatever, 26 through 28, he works all things together for good. We don't know how to pray as we should. The Holy Spirit helps us. That's such a great, a great dynamic to build into our lives. Um, so you're saying we need to move away from this sort of Netflix Christianity that's so sort of <laughs> this chronic rolling into the next episode without any like reflection or orientation, right? Just uh, to be continued. It just, it just, it just keeps going. Right. Yes. And what we what the idea is, and again, it's, it, it was inspired by the, the year in retreat, uh, the personal retreat at the end of a year where we just take some time and we mark the end of something. And, you know, what I found in my life is that, you know, the, the book begins, too, with this idea of sort of chronic beginnings. Like we, we just, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, I'm as attention, um, you know, deficit uh, as they get like the attention, you know, troubled as, as you can find. My, my brain is easily distracted. 
And what happens is, you know, I can chase shiny objects and you just end up starting a whole bunch of things and you don't ever actually see things through to the end. Mm. And so I began to ask, you know, why is the, you know, uh, Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes, right? Better is the end of a thing that's beginning. And a lot of people, you know, when you read that or you think about it, it's like, okay, well, of course, when something's bad, the end of a thing is better than it's beginning because it's now over and you, you know, it's behind you and you can move on to whatever's next. Mm -hmm. But I began to think about this and the end of a thing is is better, not because it happened, but because it matters. Mm. And that means whether it's good or whether it's hard. Um, that season, that event, that thing has some purpose or will have some purpose. And it doesn't work like a jigsaw puzzle, right? It's not like you, it's like you back up and you go, oh, I now see how this piece fits into this puzzle, especially when you're talking about hard things where, I mean, we've, you know, we've had people, you know, I mean, we, you, you and I know this, but people lose uh, children and, and they have horrible things um, happen in our human experience. And it's, and it's really trite to just go, oh, I see how this is going to, fit into this nice, neat puzzle, because it rarely works like that. But instead, it gives us a whole new sort of box top uh, vision for what God is doing that doesn't minimize pain or loss, but rather allows it to be absorbed into this story and the character um, that we become as we continue to reflect you know, his image mm. uh, and to bring his influence to bear on the world around us, which to me is ultimately about how his kingdom is brought to bear in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Right here, right now, his kingdom starts now, right? Already here, not yet fully here, but it's already at play. I love that. And we're, yeah. bo- and we're born again for that. Leonard Sweet talks about, you know, this this uh, holy composting, you know, where God can use the compost from previous seasons and previous experiences to be nutritious for something new. Um, yeah. I think sometimes we end up just uh, sort of, uh, I've done some of this, like sitting on a compost pile, you know, from some previous season. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's true. I, I think there's there's merit that because a lot of times, especially in our culture, and, and there's been some beautiful things that have happened, right? There's a lot more um, sort of transparency in struggles, right? People are more willing to talk about their emotional struggles, you know, the mental health conversation, all those are, are really important. And I believe helpful to, um, what's happening, but there's also sort of with that comes the tendency to over identify with with things to say this, you know, this is this is who I am rather than recognizing this is something that I'm experiencing and going through and that there is a forging, I think, of God's work in our lives through those hard things. And if we are able to and I think you got to do this and this is not an isolated, um, you know, sort of a thing you do alone. I think there's got to be a lot of introspection in it, but you share it with community and you create these moments. And part of what I think is important about the concept of this book is there are conclusions that are obvious, right? When you graduate from high school or when you graduate from college or you get married or you have, you know, the end of the year, there, there are moments in time that are obvious conclusions to seasons, right? But for a lot of us, those those conclusions are not as obvious. And I think, you know, part of the challenge is to create space and time in our lives to go. I'm going to draw a moment here in this time. I'm going to say, okay, this season is now um, I'm going to bring it to a conclusion. I'm going to gain perspective and I'm going to look at this. And, you know, one of the, the core ideas in the book is that finished things become usable things. Um, and when we, when something gets sort of brought to a conclusion, it now becomes usable for the future that is in front of us rather than this, this sort of nebulous, you know, hairball with all these loose ends that just gets pulled along with us. And it doesn't mean that you have perfect picture, but what it does mean is that you have the capacity to see and to trust that God is doing something in there. And then, you know, I, I believe that as we walk through this, you know, he begins to reveal, you know, again, not some puzzle piece that fits, but a a deeper purpose of things that he is doing and has been doing underneath, you know, the struggles that we face, both good and, you know, both struggles and things that we celebrate. This is personal counseling for me. I am getting a free... <laughs> <laughs> One of the benefits of podcast hosting is once in a while you get a free therapy session. It's really good. Right. Really, really good. So, I mean, like, so like, like practically what, what, what do you do in those moments? Do you, you create space and time? You, you, you gear down. Do you advocate journaling? Do you advocate community dialogue with others? Uh, maybe uh, concentrated prayer. How does that look practically? 
Yes. I mean, I would say yes to all the above and the way I would first start. So one of the things that um, <clears throat> with this, if, you know, we, we tend, let me, let me back in to, to answer the question, but we tend, if you think about this, you know, whenever someone has a good day or a bad day, if you think about how you scale your days, if you say I have a bad day, usually what it means is you had a bad, you know, five minutes, right? Something happened. You lost your mind. You, you yelled, you, whatever you, whatever your thing is, right? And then we said, this was a terrible day because I did this one thing. And sometimes, you know, when I began to kind of do inventory, what I would recognize is I could ruin a whole day for from five, five bad minutes. You know, you have five bad minutes and it affects everything else in your day. Uh, yeah. And so I began to wonder, you know, if, if, if sort of five bad minutes can have a disproportional proportionate weight on your sort of world. All right. What about five faithful minutes or one faithful moment? Yeah. Um, you know, so I've been doing some um, <clears throat> trying to eat better and such. And so sometimes I'll get to the end of the night and I'm like, man, I'm going to have, you know, I'll eat dessert at dinner and like, ah, I feel bad instead of then you feel bad. So you just eat bad the rest of the night. Then you eat bad the next morning. And so what I would do at the end of the day is when I, if I had a dessert or did something like I don't, I wanted to do something a little bit more disciplined in my uh, dietary habits. When I would get ready for bed, I would have a healthy snack. Like I try to do something in that moment that said, okay, this isn't to make up for, but this is just to declare a new point in time where I made an, a decision that, that was in line with what I'm trying to do. Mm. And so that's, you know, when it comes to diets or exercise, things like that, those are easy. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, right, to say, okay, Lord, I blew it this way or I acted this way or I did this. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare rather than trying to make up or proved God how sorry we are. We just gonna, we're going to establish, I'm going to be faithful to you in this moment. I'm going to deny myself and take up my cross. I'm going to be faithful to you by this. I'm going to lift myself up to you and trust your forgiveness for me as real or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the mindset, but the, the actual disciplines, you know, are things like I, I advocate journaling, you know, to, to, a, to an obnoxious degree because it's, it's the way in which, you know, the way I think about it is I can, I can write down, I can see my thoughts uh, without being blinded by what I feel. And that includes guilt or shame or excitement or any of those things. I, yeah. I write them down. Yeah. Um, it allows me to process. And then I, I do have disciplines of contemplative prayer um, where I bring these to the Lord very, um, very intentionally, very slowly. Um, I have, you know, people that are in my life that I share this with very intimately and kind of process that. So that it's, it's really all three of those. If I had to say, you know, what's the order? I think the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get clarity in your head. Um, and that that involves sitting down and writing down your thoughts and processing, you know, what what do you what do you feel? What are you sensing? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it hesitation? Um, you know, is it disappointment and bringing all those things to bear so that you have some language and you have some some vision for what you're actually addressing. So you can bring this mm. to a sense of closure. So it's not just this haunting um, sort of pile, but it actually gets defined in some really crystal crystallized ways. A haunting pile. Another great <laughs> word picture. Wow. You know, it's, it says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, hope, hope seems mm. to be a big theme in your book, right? Yep. May the God yep. of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will yep. abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So let me ask you, why are fresh beginnings so important in life? And, and, you know, I think you've already started to touch on it, but what are some of those things that may mitigate against fresh beginnings? You know, I think fear is a big one. Um, and it's it's the fear of uncertainty. You know, it's interesting. People talk about 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 beginnings, right? They talk about fresh beginnings and the longing for them. But what happened and what I found is the 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 older I get, I'm I'm 51, so I'm still pretty young. But the older I get, what I find is that you get um really good at predicting sort of how decisions are gonna play themselves out, and you start depending on that. And what I think people get more calculated, they get actually more afraid of uncertainty. So our decisions are sort of this, um, even, even the longing for a new beginning are to hold on to what's the old familiar. Mm. And if you play this out, right, you know, you think about the, the Exodus, right? The <clears throat> deliverance from, from slavery in Egypt, they get out and they're like, oh my gosh, we at least had three square meals. And, you know, what I think happens in our sort of the human um, experience, the way we process life is that 
sometimes familiar misery actually feels more comfortable than an uncertain future. And me. so we have this, this sort of, um, this kind of romanticized idea of new beginnings, but when we're confronted with them, we will often resist that because of the uncertainty that's involved. And what, what we miss as followers of Jesus is that it's the uncertainty where our faith actually gets to be our guide, be the way in which we see rather than, um, you know, the, the, the faith in, in our experience, you know, this is Proverbs three that everybody loves trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on what you already know and think. And, you know, so you have to move into a future with a sense of hope and recognizing that new beginnings aren't easy and they're uncertain. And that brings with it its own sense of, um, of anxiety. And with that comes the tendency to go back to what we have already known. At least we had leeks and onions, right? Um, I think we need to ask that question. What could be on the other side of a fresh yes. beginning, you know, like a beautiful family, a, a legacy, yep. a new business, a new career change, some new uh, level or space of our the unique kingdom contribution that each yep. member of the body of Christ is destined to make, right? What could be on yes. the other side of that? And then you can see why there is a fight about it, why there is yep. resistance, right? So fresh beginnings are critically important, and yeah. um, I think the enemy would like to abort them, steal birth them, you know. Absolutely. My, one of the things, Brian, that I've done, we've been, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, um, the, the language that people are using is we can't wait to get back to normal. Right. Which is a natural thing. And what what I remember, we talked about this with our leadership team, and we began to teach this in our church, is that we don't want to go back to normal. We want to see and understand what God has for us in the future. And, and I didn't know, you know, we didn't know it was going to be a two year, however long this thing's going to be. But we did know is that something was kind of changing and that this was a season that we needed to take seriously. And so we've done that. And I've, as we've been talking about this over the last, you know, probably three or four months, particularly um, as a church. And again, this is just in my own, my own perspective, but I think it applies to most, most any industry or where, wherever people might be is that one of the things I've had to do is to convince myself that I do not know what the future looks like. So that, because what I keep doing is trying to organize and strategize on how to get things back to the way that they were, where I could manage them. And what I, what I sense, if I, if I stay focused on that, I'm going to miss some of the things that God really wants to unfold um, before us. And so that's part of, of the discipline of me is to go, Lord, you know, I've, I've got people around me so, so that when I start talking about things um, the way they've always been to try and use new language to talk about what it might look like and even using different metrics um, as to how we're thinking about people engaging in our church and doing, uh, being a part of, you know, all those different things are sure. um, sort of on the table to really gain a sense of clarity, um, you know, of, of what the future might look like. And so we don't, we don't rob ourselves of that by depending on what we have already experienced, what we already know, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I, Hey, pre pre pandemic, uh, was it all that great anyway? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we right. should optimize this season, Lord. What new things are right now, and what's coming through it, and how can how can you redeem this time? I I, I love that approach. And that's Isaiah. That's Isaiah, right? He says, you know, Lord, uh, you're doing a new thing, and and God says, I'm doing. I mean, God says, I'm doing a new thing, and you don't see it because you haven't asked. And I think there's a season where we just have to to ask, and that that requires us to consider the fact that sometimes I'm asking according to what I already know. And it's like, Lord, which is, which is not, again, it's not wrong or bad. Just not it enough. just might be incomplete. incomplete. And that's a, that's a different category. Asking open-ended questions of the Lord mm. and being open to new questioning, new answers. I love that. So if those seasons that we haven't brought closure to, you know, it's hard work to close a season, isn't it? To close that loop. And Very hard work. Takes Very hard work. Some time. It takes intentionality, courage, et cetera. But what are the symptoms that we could expect to have if we have these open loops and these unclosed seasons? What, what would it feel like? 
what would we be experiencing possibly? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a recreating. Um, I think a lot of times we're trying to recreate the past. Like I think, you know, especially people who have had success, like, you know, it's, it's not whether things have been, you know, your past has been hard or your, your past has been good. Like they're both, you, you, they're both sort of equal opportunities um, for that to happen. You know, I, I know people, I mean, I write a story in the book about a, a guy in his you know, late forties at a Def Leppard concert with his mullet. And it's like, he, he just never left the glory days behind, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a metaphor, a picture of this, but, but the idea is that a lot of times we, we have this, these, these successes yes. and we hold on to them. Yeah. And, and again, because we over-identify with it, we over-identify with, Oh, my business is booming or my kids have done this or my church has done that. And then, so we just hold on to those things, just creating more and more pressure on them. And we miss what's unfolding in front of us. So I think that the main symptom is anytime we find ourselves trying to hold on to um, what has already been or running away into just chronically new things, sort of entertaining ourselves um, to avoid dealing with what has happened. I think both of those uh, tendencies are, are indicators of this. And, and the solution, you know, isn't so much a, I mean, eventually it'll, you'll crash, right? That's what typically happens. People just collide. They just can't carry it anymore. Um, but I think there are ways, and, and again, it's, it's this idea of rhythms and creating these stopping points that allow us to see and to process even in the middle of something, you know, even in the middle of something, you've got to take a, a stopping point and go, okay, this is what I've endured up to this point. And now I've got to take a, a breath and find fresh grace, fresh mercy, um, for this next, um, these next steps that I'm going to take, even if it's, even if I still am unclear yeah. about how this is going to unfold. Even if it's a painful, uncomfortable time, we can, I think we could blunt the edge on it, right? By doing that. Correct. Just, yep. and, and really find grace and expectancy, hope starts surfacing again. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5, you know, to be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because beautiful, the, pa beautiful passage. Yeah, the days are evil. Uh, understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, I, I mean, I think we've been having evil days ever since uh, mm -hmm. Genesis three, but there's probably a, <laughs> a, a heightened sense of evil days right now. Paul said, "In the last days, will be perilous." So we are in a time where we have to be really uh, like aggressive and intentional about redeeming time, don't we? And yes, could, yes. Could you just comment on Paul's words there in Ephesians five? You know, I think it's one of the things, again, when you're kind of writing, um, I assume you do this when you're writing, you're, you're kind of processing what you're thinking. And then you, you find things that you weren't expecting. Like part of what emerged uh, in this book was a, a real uh, sort of keen sense of how important time is and not not just to to to. Um, uh, not, you know, not just to go manage it well and, you know, you only live once, but but really to recognize it as it's the medium through which we experience God's grace, which is a really, to me, was an interesting idea. And I think this comes from, you know, Ephesians, what Paul says, but also first Peter, he talks about this future grace coming. And the idea of what, the way I think of this is that grace is like oxygen. And, you know, when you, when you, um, when you breathe, right, you don't, you don't hold your breath for, you know, uh, a moment, 10 minutes from now, right? You only get enough, even if you hold your breath, you can only hold it for three or four minutes if you're really, really proficient at it. Um, so the breath that you have now is not sufficient for 10 minutes from now and certainly not two days from now. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true for grace, right? It's the grace that God gives us comes to us in a moment and that is sufficient for that moment. And what happens is we we find ourselves in these places where we, you know, we, we again, did this at um, in our church services when people who struggle with like chronic anxiety or depression or a lot of these things, they'll say things like, I always am like this. And so they just identify as this is the condition that they are in. And what you realize is, okay, if you can take a moment, take a breath, find a measure of peace, and you go, did you feel that? Did you sense it? They say, yes, I did. And you say, do you believe that is available to you 10 minutes from now okay. or two moments from now? What you'll find is it's like, no, because now I'm worried about that moment. And it's like, you don't actually have to be because the same grace you experience in this moment will also be available there. So I think when he talks about redeeming the time, you know, God has this miraculous way to do things in accelerated ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And we try to calculate how God's going to pull something off. Okay. 
And, you know, and he just does it in some kind of miraculous way, whether it's instantaneous or whether he takes 40 years, it, it just is how God does things. And we don't, we can't calculate it. So in redeeming the time, I think really has to do with resolving that I'm going to be faithful in this moment. This is what is available to me. This is what God has given to me. And this is where he has promised his ultimate sufficiency is in this moment. And if I can steward that there, then it unfolds the moments that come in front of me. And that, and that really, and that's, that's a, it's a mindset of how we approach mm-hmm. life rather than trying to calculate everything out. It's learning how to, you know, to live. And I think what surprised me about this book is that rather than it being some real gritty exercise on dealing with our past, it really became a, a sort of a, a freedom of being able to experience God's presence in a moment and that awakening hope for what is to come. I mean, was not the first miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine? And it says that he showed forth the Father's glory there. And boy, yep. boy was that an acceleration of time, wasn't it? <laughs> right. I mean, vintage, the best wine, accelerated. Yeah. Um, and that's his first public miracle that's recorded in yep. the Gospels. I think yeah. we need to look at that and say, Father, do you have something for me there? Um, in my context. Yeah. So this pile of unfinished beginnings that you write about, (laughs) that's oppressive, man, that pile of unfinished beginnings. (laughs) Uh, But you're saying that once we do finish things, once we do close the loops, they become uh, resources, they become things that are part of the story right now, right? The God is, um, the God's grace is unfolding for us. Yes. That's a great way to say it. And I think the other thing too, um, you know, that we, we often get trapped into, especially when it comes to vision for future is, you know, we, we talk about it at, at our church's destination thinking. And that is this, <clears throat> we grow up with this, right? It's like, when I get out of high school, then, you know, I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'll be happy. And when I, when I get out of college and when I get a job and when I get married and when I get kids and when my kids get grown and when, you know, it's always this, this sort of illusion, this mirage that sits out in front of us, luring us ahead that we don't ever actually, you know, get to participate in the life that we, you know, we're in because we're always, we always think that it exists when we get somewhere else. Yep. And I think that's just a, you know, um, one of the chapters in the book talks this. I remember talking to, I was leading a group of, uh, you know, tw- late twenties, uh, young, young married couples, and, you know, they, we, we were together for a few years and one of them was, I think, turning 30. And they said something like, you know, I, I just thought I would have done more by the time I was 30. I'm like, well, what did you think that you would do? And they said, oh, I don't really know. I'm like, well, how, how do you know you should have done more if you don't have any idea what you actually should have done? And I think there's that 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 sense underneath a lot of people that we should have done more with our lives than we have done. And we just don't, and and all that's because there's just this pile, this, this morass behind us sort of pushing us forward without any real clear, um, you know, expectation or sense of vision for, for what we're actually supposed to be or what we're created to be doing and enjoying. I'm not sure why I'm laughing so much. This is mildly convicting here, to <laughs> be honest with you. <laughs> so this pressure of our piled up past, and you know, Stephen Covey wrote in his book, um, a lot of people remember his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yep. Probably the main thing they might remember is to begin with the end in mind. We know Isaiah says God declares the end from the beginning. So mm. um, you're saying living in the now because God meets us in the now, the grace flows in the now, enjoying the now, and yet we are people of the future, aren't we? We, yep. we, yes. do, we, we, we do have horizons that we're called to look at, and um, so we have to carry that tension, don't we, I guess? Yeah, and that was, I think that's one of the other interesting things that I, that kind of, I, I was learning as I was writing this, is that it used to feel at odds with me because I am a future guy, like, you know, just as a as sort of a bent, you know, I'm a nat, kind of a natural visionary. And I, th- I think forward and, you know, I'm always living, um, <clears throat> living out, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I, you know, always nervous about is when you sort of get real present, you feel like you give that up. But what, what's happened uh, is the yes. more I've been able to sort of apply this in my own life is that the future has actually opened up 
um, with with greater, I don't want to say clarity, um, but with with certainly with more willingness to pursue it. Interesting. Um, in ways that I I just did not see coming. Sort of counterintuitive to the way we may have first thought about that, huh? It really was because I wasn't expecting that to be a part of of the the book. Interesting. So you went into starting to write this book with the life message that you want to bring through the book. But as you're writing the book, more comes, huh? <laughs> Sounds like you were getting insights all along the way. Layers of things were coming. And conviction. <laughs> <laughs> Personal processing through the book. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Was it Hemingway or somebody who said, hey, writing's easy. You just, you know, cut a vein and bleed. You know, you just let it out. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's uh, the life essence of the author. Wow. Yeah. I love this. So yeah, could you just give a few, um, I want to ask you for maybe three key takeaways, but before that, if you wouldn't mind, like, what are um, maybe a real life example or two of how, of what it could look like to successfully navigate this? Maybe it's uh, in the domain of relationships, or maybe it's in the area of one sense of their, um, their you know, their calling, their life narrative. What do you think? Yeah. I'll, I'll give you one from my own personal experience and um, <clears throat> sort of the church. And I, I you know, um, I was a part of the the beginning of the church. So I've been there 22 years. And um, part of what my own um, experience was, you know, was, was really kind of coming to a crossroads. And because because it was it was like we had, you know, the church had grown. We had a lot of, of what, you know, what people would say from the outside. Oh, this is really successful. And no question, it feels good. And there's a lot of things that you, you know, you sort of get a sense of, of accomplishment. All those things come with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I knew underneath that there were, there was, we were at a crossroads and the tendency is to keep doing what we've always done. And I just sensed there was something else um, happening. And so what I had to do is, and I took about, it was about a, a probably about a, a year long journey. I took about two months to sort of ask the question, can I stay at my church um, or at the church that I'm at, it's not mine. You know what I mean? I, can I stay at Port City mm-hmm. and not do what I believe needs to be done? And the answer to that question was no. In other words, I can't just keep doing what I've always done. So then I have to decide, do I need to just to do that or do I need to, is this my time to, to end my season at the church? And I took that question very seriously, not as a threat. I talked to some really close people on our leadership team. They knew I was going through this process but what I was asking is, Lord, I need to bring this first kind of, it was about 18 years. I need to bring this to a sense of closure that, okay, we've done some things and there are some things that have happened and okay. some things I'm very proud of and some things that I'm you know really disappointed by, some things that have been really good, some things that have been really um, hard. Um, and what I was asking is, Lord, do I have a, a fresh sense of vision for the future and a fresh sense of call as the pastor of this particular body? And so it was about a six month process. It was about two, three months in the first question, then it's a couple, but about a year total. But I spent about six months very intentionally asking those two questions. I'm walking through a, a very intentional process. And at the end, I really found that I had a fresh vision for the future. And it was because I was freed from trying to continue to do what I'd already done. And so, so I don't know if that makes sense, but I, but I think it's in our, in our marriages it's with our children. You know, every season has a different um, emphasis to it or, or something that available that we often miss when we're just trying to do what we've always done. And that's that's to me one of the beautiful things about this. And that's how I've experienced in, in you know, my own life. I mean, I'm, you know, I've been at the church 22 years and I'm probably as excited about the future. And th- in the last two years through the pandemic have been among the hardest we've had, um, you know, in terms of disequilibrium. I mean, you know, none of the metrics matter anymore. Like how many people in your church when you went from, you know, a whole lot to zero in, in two weeks and then, you know, all the rebuilding. So, but I still have like a, a, like an authentically deep sense of hope and excitement about, you know, where we are heading. Um, and so I attribute that to kind of sort of breaking that or, or concluding that first season and allowing something to germinate and to come to fruition Interesting. in a much different way than I expected. So it's almost like you need to go through a, I don't want to overstate it, but like a death experience or a willing to let a season close and die to open, to open, to, to open up into something new 
that, that of course, can create insecurity, instability. Uh, we are, you know, but if we're willing to go through that, which you did, then there's actually a new, a new window that's yeah. opened, a new season. Brian, it's actually extremely interesting that you use that, that idea, because that's exactly what ended up in the book was that it was the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It was, it's how the gospel became center to this, because that is what it, it that is what the gospel promises is that, you know, we, we, you don't keep things that need to die on life support so that they'll be the way they were. Sometimes they need to actually be buried so they can be resurrected into something mm-hmm. uh, fresh in them. It's what Jesus said, right? Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Yep. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so there, there's actually a whole section in the book. That, that's, that's where the theological layering became a part of this that I just did not see coming when I began um, writing this book. Mm. So I love the fact that you you said that because that's, that just affirms uh, really deeply some things that I was, um, you know, that I'd put in the book that I just, you know, you, you do that, putting it out there, hoping that it will resonate and for you to, to say that's really encouraging. Oh, well, I really appreciate the conceptual kingdom conceptual teaching that you're bringing. Thank you. It, you know, <clears throat> Richard Foster said the curse of our age is superficiality. You know, mm. I mean, if we're yeah. going to live rich lives, if, you know, we're going to, well, we're going to be appraised by the Lord one day for the stewardship of our life. And um, I want it to be a rich experience, um, not, not shallow. So I, I love the deeper teaching you're bringing here. So like what three key takeaways, or I don't want to say quick wins, but what are some, sure. what are some immediate things that people can do to at least begin to orientate themselves and maybe reposition? You know, I mean, so one of the things, obviously I would encourage people to, to read because I think, you know, I, again, I have like the ADD brain. Um, so reading has been precious to me to help me slow everything down. Yeah, yeah. And so I've tried to write in a way that people can read and go, oh, I think I can do something about this. And you know, when, when the, the, the subtitle of the book uh, is how to keep your past from piling up and finding hope for your future and, and how to is is it's not a how to in the sense. Oh, here's three simple steps. But what it what it does <clears throat> is it allows you to sort of experience time and your life in a different way. And most importantly, to help us see a little bit differently. Um, one of the things that if people want to experiment with this idea, um, you know, on our, on, and I don't know if this is the right way to do it, but yeah. on our church website, we, we have a personal retreat guide. It's some contemplative prayers, reflection questions. Absolutely. It takes about two and a half hours to do. Wow. And um, if you want to experiment with something, that's a great place to start. Sure. What is that website? Um, sure. It's a uh, portcity.church forward slash personal retreat. Okay. And we'll put that on the show notes page as well. Sure. And that's, you know, that's a simple takeaway that someone can do. It's free and, and they, some of you can actually experiment with this idea. Well, often we need a, we need some sort of resource to guide us, you know, often. It's a super helpful, uh, I, I do it. We do it as a church and the feedback we get is, is just incredible. So it's a great way to sort of take a moment to actually bring a sense of conclusion um, to where you've been and, and sort of set up some places to go forward. This- just doesn't need to happen between Christmas and New Year's, does it? We could do this quarterly or at different times of the year as well, right? Uh, we started doing it quarterly. We, we do it uh, intentionally every six months, but we have a mechanisms to do this quarterly just to, so that it keeps sort of a fresh, it's a rhythm thing, right? It's, it's about, I mean, you think about time was given to us in rhythms with the Sabbath and all the things I've, I've, I've heard you talk about this thing. So there are um, it, it's it's just how God has designed us to experience this life with a sense of rhythm. And so we just want to create some intentional points that that help us to gain perspective on what he is doing uh, in and through our lives and not just the pressure we feel to either accomplish or to get out from the hard season that we might currently be in. Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of victims of the industrial age or even the information age. We no longer think agriculturally. We don't think in seasons. And I think God works in seasons. We got to get back there. We got to get back to a Absolutely. seasonal thinking like that. I love that. Well, would you would you pray for us, uh, Pastor Mike, and just um, ask that you know the grace of the Lord would come over us uh, on this theme? Man, Brian, I would I would love that. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to talk more about this. It was very helpful for me. So I'd love to, to pray for us. Oh, thank you.
Uh, Father, I, I thank you so much um, for the gift of your grace and that you have designed um, your grace to meet us uh, as the sun rises with fresh new mercies um, every day and then it extends to us in every moment. Father, I pray for those listening right now who may be enduring um, hard seasons that you would give them some space and that space would be used um, to bring rest, uh, to bring a sense of uh, perspective and out of that, Lord, uh, a sense of hope that you are with them, um, that you care and that you your purposes are never thwarted. Um, so, Father, I ask that you would give us great confidence um, in uh, in what you have done for us and the gospel that you have made available to us, that there are places in our lives that probably need to be buried. Um, and there's a fear in that because we don't want to let go of them. But I ask that you would just awaken in us a hope of what resurrection looks like and give us vision for that. Father, I thank you for Brian, for his ministry, and just ask your continued blessings on he and his family and to all those listening. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity and ask that you would bear fruit from what you long to say. And I'll lift this name of your son, Jesus, who is our King. Amen. Amen. We agree with that, Father. And um, boy, appreciate this, uh, Pastor Mike. I I do think that this is incredibly timely right now. I, th- I think that the past couple of years have been like a plow. Our mm. pastor called it a plow. It just, it just unearthed yeah. everything. And there's so many transitional issues going on. And it's really, a, in a sense, a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. Thank you. It, yeah, it, thank it, you. It's it's an opportunity for us, you know, these times, isn't it, to um to uh Oh absolutely go in, let, let yeah. that plow work, go in there and what needs to die, let it die, let new things be planted. Um I'm excited about it. I feel a lot of hope on this. I appreciate this. So you mentioned the website and uh, how can people connect with you socially or any other ways on the interwebs? Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And Facebook, it's uh, at Mike Ashcraft. At Mike Ashcraft. Fantastic. Appreciate you being willing to put that up. I think it's a great exercise for people to, to kind of experiment with what we're talking about. Hey, thank you, Pastor Mike, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I'm excited about this book, which is coming out in March of 2022. Catch the show notes page, jesusmart.com slash 222, links and additional resources to take it deeper. Stay connected with the podcast and with jesusmart.com. We're looking to expand digital pathways and resources to inspire, to inform, and to really catalyze a, um, I want to say, a new breed of Christ following, if I could say that. You can sign up for the e-letter to keep you updated about new things and resourcing. We're, we're all seeking to level up with our Christ following. Friend, thank you for passing this episode along to your friends and contacts. As always, the best syndication is always your personal connection. Wonderful things are coming up, including a conversation with J.C. Alfalto. He drops some golden nuggets on new wineskin discipleship new frameworks for thinking about what it means to disciple, to bring people into Christ and to see them discovered, developed, and deployed into their story as it fits into Christ's story. He's a penetrating thinker. The future belongs to Jesus. He's brilliant. Walk with him and you will catch his brilliance in a unique way. I look forward to connecting next time.